Fuelful Warriors, episode 53. Somebody who gets shit done. It's all down to hustle. A sacrifice of their being and way of life. We think of 300, we think of the Spartan. Sort of the courage and conviction to face their challenges in life. It always does the right thing at all costs. Stand-up comedian Michael Labune. What makes us different, we're the people who hear an explosion and run toward the explosion. What's going on, everybody? Tim Lawson here, host of Fuel for Warriors, a podcast collaboration between Lost Entertainment and Lock and Load Java. Each episode, I bring a military veteran, athlete, or someone else that resonates with the idea of being a warrior or can at least provide a perspective on the warrior ethos. And I bring them on to talk about what it means to be a warrior, what challenges they face, what ultimately inspires them, and then also to dig deep into the skill set, the insight, the perspective that they have that's unique to them so we can all learn more things about more people. This week I have Army veteran and stand-up comedian Michael Labune. Michael has worked with me on a few occasions now. He was on the One Too Many Project podcast. I did a piece on him at VA's blog, Vantage Point, uh, and uh, he sat in on a suicide prevention talk that I gave at the Student Veterans of America National Conference. Michael and I talk about his comedy, talk about the what it's like to get heckled, what it's like to bomb, what it's like to do well, uh, and then when he also shares his opinion on some of my... Uh, some of my favorite comedians. Uh, so without further ado, I'm going to let Carl Churchill, founder of Lock and Load Java, say a few words, and then we'll get into my interview with Michael. Enjoy. Hey, Warriors. This is Carl Churchill, co-founder and chief coffee officer of Lock and Load Java. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our friend and fellow veteran Tim Lawson as he interviews risk takers who've embraced the warrior ethos. I know you'll love our guest today, and when you're finished with the episode, head over to LockAndLoadJava.com and use the coupon code FUELFORWARRIORS to receive a 10% discount on our premium coffee and cocoa. Stay motivated, my friends, and keep challenging yourself. All right, Warriors, this week on the podcast, I have stand-up comedian and Army veteran Michael Labune. Sir, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, man, thanks for having me. It's uh this is the I'd say it's the third installment in our collaborative series first on the One Too Many Veteran Suicide podcast then I just recently published an article on you for VA's Vantage Point blog and now we're having you on Fuelful Warriors um but let let's start with uh let's start with the question I start every interview with and Michael to you what does it mean to be a warrior I'm reminded of a uh... When I was in Iraq, there was uh, something that we, these guys used to say whenever the uh, whenever we would have incoming, right? And the blast would hit the base. I remember guys saying, what makes us different than everybody else is that most people hear an explosion and they run away. Uh, we're the people who hear an explosion and run toward the explosion. And uh, it's it's funny because that's exactly what I saw time and time again, right? There would be an explosion, and immediately everyone would run toward that explosion to 
try to help whoever was injured, whoever was hurt. Um, I think that's what a warrior is. I think that a warrior is someone who, in the face of danger, uh, runs toward it. They react, and obviously not foolishly, <laughs> not, not just any danger, but when, but when there is uh, someone to be helped, when there's a fight to be won, to the people who run forth, to the people who charge in, I think that I think that's what it means to be a warrior. And what do you, and um, you know, you mentioned your time in Iraq, but is there any any other part of your life that you think informs that response? Yeah, absolutely. So I um, I still feel that I still feel this way. I just graduated from the University of Illinois, and this was something that I that I had to. I kind of channeled as a student, right? Whenever we would have a really, really big, some big project or some big, you know, research project or term paper or whatever it was, I always saw that as the same sort of thing. Okay, this is daunting. This seems impossible. It seems like I don't have enough time. It seems like there's no way I'm going to get all of this done. Um, I would, I really found myself running toward those tasks and taking them head on right away uh in in the same way getting out of the military and uh as you and i talked before i i suffer from ptsd and getting out of the military i made the effort i went to the va and i said look my family is suffering because of this problem that i have we have to take care of this we got to figure out a way i have to figure out a way to be a better husband and a better father amongst amidst these symptoms Right to me, those things, those are all times that I I called on what I've learned about how to be a warrior, about how when you see a fight that needs to be won, you charge in. If it's if it's college, if it's relationships, if it's mental illness, whatever it is, uh, if you see a fight that needs to be won, you don't put it off, you don't cower, you don't wait for someone else to do it. Uh, you know, I, I think warriors are people who stand up and go, okay, I'll I'll take care of this and I'll start right now. So you now, um, your current vocation is comedy, um, yeah. and I think, and I think, I think my first question, um, as we get into this part of your life, is when you were in the military, were you the funny guy, or is comedy a craft that you started developing post-military? So, or maybe those are different. Maybe there's still a difference from that altogether. You know, I'll tell you this. Comedy started for me as a boy. My Where most parents would play music in the house and stuff, my dad loved to put on old comedy records, like vinyl records. You're talking like late 80s here. Um, dad would put on vinyl comedy records. And that I remember listening to um, Bill Cosby, who, who obviously has lost a lot of the fame that he earned before. But... I remember listening to his record over and over and over. I couldn't have been more than five or six years old. And I remember wondering why people laughed, what it was about what he said that made them laugh. Why was something funny versus not funny? That always mesmerized me. Um, and then my dad would let me stay up and watch Johnny Carson, always the monologue. He'd let me watch the monologue. And then when Johnny retired, obviously, uh, we would watch Jay Leno and David Letterman both. Who with, always with that just going on and on about how neither one of them would ever be Johnny Carson. <laughs> but it started for me there. My love of comedy started there. 
uh, in the military, I wasn't so much the funny guy as the storyteller. And that is still the way, even my comedy, that's what my comedy is. So I was the guy standing around smoking cigarettes, telling some big, fantastic story uh, that was always only loosely based on truth, right, <laughs> if at all. <laughs> and uh, it was kind of a problem. To be honest with you, I look back at a lot of the stories I told, a lot of the things I said before I started doing stand-up, when I was in the military specifically, and my God, I was doing bits, but I was never saying they were bits, you know? I, I was just lying to people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, I honestly, I, I remember feeling like it was a problem. I would walk away, and everybody would be in stitches. They'd be cracking up laughing. And I'd walk away, and I'd think to myself, like, God, only, like, one part of that story was true. You know, or, or like, wow, I really exaggerated this part of it. Or, and I would feel kind of bad about it. And then I started doing comedy, and I had an outlet for that creativity. And now I find myself being overly accurate when I tell stories in just normal conversation because I don't want to ruin the bit. You know what I mean? Like now I save it all for the stage. I save it, I save it all for my stand-up because I don't want to start, you know, tell, like telling funny made-up details here and there or add a funny twist to a story in conversation because then – uh, it doesn't. It just doesn't feel quite right whenever I do it on stage. You know, it feels like I'm repeating the conversation I already had. Uh, whereas when I do it on stage as a bit, I'm able to write the whole thing. And so honestly, when I was in the military, I wasn't so much uh, the funny guy as I was just maybe the storyteller, or another way to say it would be the liar, right? <laughs> but it works way better as a comedian. As a comedian, you know, you I just get a poetic license. Tell me about. A time where you were you just you tanked. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, I could tell you I could tell you a hundred stories. I think if I feel like I could tell you a hundred stories of times when I bombed. You mean on stage? So yeah, I mean, maybe here's the better here's a better question, and then you can provide an example where you think it's best fit. Is which is the stronger emotion? The feeling of despair when you're tanking and no one's laughing. Or when you're on a roll and the whole place is in stitches. Yeah. Uh, oh man. So what I was going to say was I could tell you a hundred stories, but when you ask that question, there is one story that always comes to mind. I mean, that is the first, the first one that comes to mind of a time when I bombed. I started out my set. I asked everyone in the audience to raise their hand. I said, "Everybody, raise your hand right now," and everybody did. And <laughs> I said. Now, put your hand down if you've ever cheated on your significant other. And, of course, the whole audience, nobody put their hands out. So I crossed my arms and I said, all right, now I'm just going to wait for you guys to get tired and accidentally tell the truth. <laughs> and, and, man, did it turn that crowd against me. <laughs> I had to do five minutes after that. And they were furious with me. I mean, everybody was looking at each other suspiciously. <laughs> and so I just did it. I just did the whole five minutes to a silent, angry room. And uh, I don't, I thought it was funny. I, I still think it's funny. But, man, it was just, I guess, maybe it was a little too close to home for some people. I don't know. But that was the time I did five minutes to angry looks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now. And 
I'll tell you this. What emotion is stronger? I hate to even, I hate to answer this because I hate the truth of it. Um, when I do really, really well, like last night, I had a great night. I mean, it was awesome. I, I was, I was performing with other great comedians, a lot of people from out of town. And, um, and I really felt like, you know, I, I did some of my best work and the audience was fantastic. Um, and I was elated. And when I came home, I was excited and I talked to my wife about it and, you know, she is nice and she listens, <laughs> but she obviously is not nearly as excited as I am, you know? Um, and it's a, it is, it is, un, it is the best feeling I have ever found. You know, I, I was a musician for years. I've done all kinds of things. It, comedy feels like it is rewarding in a way that nothing else is. But that night that I bombed, I literally could not sleep that night. I laid in bed with my wife and my daughter had jumped in bed because she, she had had a bad dream. And I laid there in between the two girls staring at the ceiling all night long until the sun came up. Like, I just couldn't. I was so devastated that I could not sleep. And I spent the next two days writing, just writing, 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 everything I could write, anything that seemed funny, just anything I could do. Just, God, don't let that happen again, you know? So I would have to say the, the much more uh, potent emotion is the despair of bombing. It, there's just nothing... There's nothing like it. I, I, but it makes me think of people who gamble, right? People who have gambling addictions. They say they're really addicted to losing. Uh, it's the yeah. losing that's the juice. And I'll be honest with you. I just had this conversation with a comedian last night uh, before the show, thankfully, because that comedian ended up not doing so well. <laughs> it would have been a really awkward conversation after the show. But we were talking about bombing and, and how useful it is. Like, I'm telling you, some of the best bits I've ever written. I wrote the same night I bombed. I bombed, and then I get this, I get so motivated to not bomb again because it is so, it is just such a terrible feeling. <laughs> to, it feels like it feels like a personal rejection. I mean, it is from a, from an audience of people. <laughs> it's like a whole a whole room of people don't like you. That's what it feels like. So let's. Um, so let's go into a more moderate situation, right? Like you're not tanking or like you're getting the chuckles where you expect them and maybe some things that you try aren't working and that's fine. Um, what, what if you start getting into a routine, right? Like a line of jokes that sort of connect each other and, and you're into the first like minute of, let's say five minutes worth of jokes in this common thread and you're at the in starting to begin minute two and it's not hitting. Do you push through confident that the following jokes may may arouse them or do you try to veer off and try another subject assuming the subject matter is what's not connecting yeah so i like options so i really i uh what i try to do when i write you know for a five minutes and now it's different like if i'm doing if i'm doing five minutes typically it's open mic if i'm doing an open mic then uh i'm i'm Either I'm trying to polish jokes or I'm trying to um, work out new material. Either way, the audience is really just my indicator canary about the material. The material is being tested, right? So I, I stick to it. I'll stick to it. Even that night I bombed. I, was, I got like about two and a half minutes in, I realized the subject matter was not ever going to recover with that crowd. But I figured, you know what? I'm already sad. 
So I might as well just go all the way and finish the new stuff. <laughs> like, there's no sense in in not knowing if the new jokes are going to, you know, be, you know, the rest of the jokes I haven't done yet. I might as well test them now uh, because I'm already depressed. I'm already going to be depressed all night because I bombed. So just let's just finish. So in that case, I'll stick to the old, you know, I'll stick to whatever I'm doing. I'll keep testing the new material. But if it's if it's a case where somebody's giving me money, if I'm being paid to do a job, or I'm, or it's like a spot that I really appreciate, like I'm opening for, you know, some really funny comedians or something, and and you know, it's a, a new audience, a big audience or something, and it's just a good opportunity for me that way. It's not an open mic. I'm not just working on my on myself, working on my material. Then what I do is every single bit that I have, I have intersections where I can take a different path. So uh, usually what I have is I'll, I'll leave myself exits uh, at the beginning of a joke and midway through a joke. Once you get past midway, I say go all the way. That's my personal. You know, never leave them hanging without the punchline, right? So, but what I have is intersections where I can go to different areas. And to be honest with you, Tim, what I do, the two areas that I typically rely on, right, are uh, family jokes where I start talking about my kid because that I've never found a room where jokes about my kid doesn't help. It kind of it establishes a rapport with the audience in a really interesting way. And so if they can't if they can't connect with you before, they can connect with you once you start talking about being a parent. Um and then the other the other one is obviously disgusting. To just be really gross. So like there's literally if you were to look at my notes, you would see that at like certain segues I have like dash marks headed off to the side in case I want to, in case I need to go a different direction because the crowd isn't following or they're just not into what I'm talking about. And you'll see, like, on the one side, I can take this joke and go and finish it out, or I can take this joke and then end up talking about my daughter, or I can take this joke and end up talking about my butthole. And those are my options. <laughs> and the reason, and there is a really, a real reason that you have the shocking ghost humor. And that's be- usually I use that if I'm having a- if I'm having trouble retaining their attention. If the audience is talking a lot, a lot of table talk, uh, waitresses can kind of mess that up sometimes, or just one drunk guy in the crowd can get everybody where their attention is divided. If I end up with that, then uh, real shocking language will quickly bring everybody on board to listening to you. You know, it's just naturally they start listening to you more. So I have places like, that I can dump, you know, places that I can jump off and say, okay, here's, in a few seconds, I have this exit into another, I can segue into another, you know, in different material that I know works and that's going to go over better with this crowd. But by and large, by and large, I write the set for what I know about the room, and uh, if I don't know the room at all, then I just do my best stuff. Give, give me an example of a time where you thought you really handled a heckler well. Hecklers, man. Uh, so there was only one time that I ever really engaged a heckler, and he just wouldn't stop. Most of the time, I just try to ignore them, or I just look at them like they're idiots for a Are long time. Are they presumably time. drunk? You know what? It's weird. It, who who decides to heckle is the weirdest. Is the worst collection of people. So a lot of times they're very drunk. Um, other times they really think they're helping. 
There are people who truly think that that is what everybody is there to do. Everybody's there to just call out jokes and laugh and make each other laugh. They don't really ever understand that they're at a show, right? And so they they don't understand just how awful it is. And I I, I actually have – I told one heckler, the one that I dealt with, I told him after the show, I was like, it took me all week to polish that five minutes, and you ruined it with no effort. It took you no effort to ruin what I worked all week on. And, I mean, I was furious. And so that night, I didn't just do my normal thing where I acknowledged them by staring at them, and then, you know, I'll kind of say something to just talk about, like, how asinine what they said was, or I'll make a quip, and then I get away from them. I didn't write any lines for them. You know what I'm saying? I know comics who engage hecklers, and they, they really riff on them, and then it turns out being the funniest part of their set. Man, I'm not that way. I write every every word I say has been written, and I didn't write the audience any lines except for ha, 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 ha. That's the only lines I have for the audience. You know? <laughs> so um, this one in particular, and I, I had a heckler, and he was a man and his girlfriend, and both of them had had too much to drink, and they just wouldn't stop. And so finally, I just let him start talking. I was like, oh, yeah, tell me more about this. I want to hear more. And so he starts talking, and then he, you know, kind of keeps going and going. And so he's been talking for, you know, well, longer than he should have. When he started talking, it was longer than he should have, but still. And finally, whenever he gets more bogged down into the details, I mean, the guy, he's not a, he's not a comic, right? <laughs> he's not. He's, I knew this. He wasn't going to be good at it. He gets more bogged down in the details of whatever stupid story he was trying to tell. And then immediately I was just like, okay, this is super boring. I was like, if you were standing up here behind the microphone right now, they would all boo you. And the crowd went nuts, right? They just all start cheering because the crowd doesn't like the heckler. They're, not, they're always going to be on the side of the comic. So uh, that turning the crowd against him shut him up really quick because then it's not, let's see who can be more clever between the two of us, me or you. It's, Look what you're doing. You're not pitting yourself against me. You're pitting yourself against the room. And that shut him up real quick. And then after the show, I told him. I, I, I just told him. I was like, listen, man. I was like, I don't care if you like what I did. I don't care if you like me after that. I was like, I don't care if you never come back to see me. Because you don't understand how hard I worked and how quickly you ruined it. I was Because he did. Because my jokes, the way they work, the first premise is not really fully realized until the last sentence, Right? The first sentence and the last sentence of my set are always connected. It's the setup and then finally the punchline, a meta joke, right, with a lot of jokes in between. And if somebody breaks that, that flow that I've worked out, then they've, when they, if someone interrupts me in that way, then the, it's very easy for the, for the audience to forget the first premise, and then the punchline's meaningless, right? So it completely ruins it. Uh, but he ended up being a nice guy. He ended up buying me a drink the next time he came. Out to see me. So, oh, yeah. nice. so um, I know this is purely subjective, but I'm just curious. Uh, I'm going to list uh, a, a handful of comics that I have truly enjoyed uh, during my lifetime, and you tell me if you think they were funny or not that funny. Okay, yeah. Yeah, are you down for this? Yeah, this can get oddly personal, but let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Dane Cook. Dane Cook. <laughs> and again, you don't have to like. We're gonna, gonna, gonna start with Dane Cook. 
Okay. Uh, is it funny or not that funny? That's it. Dane Cook, I think, what I think of when I watch Dane Cook is he has got to be the funniest youth pastor I've ever seen. <laughs> He's like a hilarious 90s youth pastor. Yeah. So, I, I, it's funny or not funny, yeah, he's... He's fucking hilarious for a 90s youth pastor. For sure. I can, I can respect that. I, I get why every, I get all the criticism that he gives and people make fun of him. The one yeah. thing I think we have to admire is I think he is one of the few comedians to ever reach rock star status. That's exactly and right. Think, and I think that, I think that deserves some admiration. Yeah, you gotta talk about him. And he also, there's something else he did, right? He was one of the first comics to really understand what a tool social media could be. And Dane Cook, Dane Cook hit superstardom. I mean, we're talking about Madison Square Garden. You're talking Chris Rock level, like, packing out theaters. That's insane. And, And he did that largely by understanding social media and being an expert at how to use it. Uh, this is a guy who built, I mean, and he, he built an incredible amount of success. And, and uh, he, I think he's a very, very, very smart, cunning uh, businessman in that way, for sure. Yep. You mentioned the next one, Chris Rock. Dude, Chris Rock, in my opinion, will go down in history as one of the greatest comedians ever. I think... Yeah. I think Chris Rock, he uh, he did something early on where he established himself in such a way that he could talk about uh, racial issues in this amazing way. And not just racial. I mean, he talked about gun control, right? And he could do it in this amazing way that did not incite... Uh, aggression on the other side. People who disagreed with him would have to laugh. And because of that, he's been able to say anything. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. If anybody, he was, there's nobody in here, no white person in here who would trade places with me. And I'm rich. Right? <laughs> he's famous, he's rich, and he was still pointing out that there are so many white people who would not trade places with him just because, and what he was saying there is racism is not dead. It's clearly still alive. You wouldn't trade places with me, and there's a reason for that. Uh, but because he's so funny and so loud and in your face and always with that smile, he's yelling and saying awful things with a half grin all the time. And, oh, my God, I am a huge fan. I really am. I'm watching that guy is, I feel like it's just you're watching a legend, you know, go through his beats. I, I, I like to follow comedians the way other people follow bands. And, and uh, Chris yeah. Rock has been one of those guys. Well, I love his early stuff. love his middle stuff. I love what he's doing now. I mean, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Chris Rock. Yeah, for sure. We are we're a little pressed on time, Michael. I'm going to name a few more. I want one sentence on each one of these. You got it. Jim Gaffigan. I can't handle that weird voice he does. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. George yeah, I love him in, every, in the interviews, but I can't stand that voice he does. All right, thanks. Uh, yeah, Jim, yeah, the, um, yeah, that, I can't, I can't even mimic it. I love Jim Gaffigan. I read his book. It's hilarious. But yeah, that weird mm-hmm. voice that he does sometimes gets a little weird. Um, George Lopez. No, thank you. Okay. I don't really have anything to say about George Lopez, man. I, I don't know. I, I really, I don't feel qualified to speak on George Lopez. He's made me laugh in the past. I, he, when I hear his comedy, I feel like I'm watching his sitcom. 
that's really how I feel. You know? I, yeah. I don't know what Trevor Noah. Say again? Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah. I like Trevor Noah so much more as a host than as a stand-up comedian. I think he's gifted in both. But I, I think he's really finding his, his uh, niche, niche, whatever, as a, yeah. as, as a host. I, I think he having his own show, driving his own show, talking about politics and current events as they're happening, that's where Trevor Noah, Trevor Noah I think, really comes alive. I, I would agree with I agree with you now. When he first started the Daily Show, I preferred to stand up. Yeah, um, yeah. He, took, he had to. You know what? The same was true with Jimmy Fallon, though. Yeah. Jimmy Fallon, his first few man, they were rough, and yeah. now that guy has absolutely blossomed in that job. It's awesome. It's like watching Johnny Carson again. I, I mean it. I think he rivals Johnny Carson. Just that he is for today. You know, this day and age, he knows these pop stars. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And then, lastly, someone that I've truly enjoyed in stand-up who doesn't really do a whole lot of it anymore, but when he was, I thought he was underrated and very funny, Kevin James. Kevin James, see, what Kevin James, I think, is amazing at is being absolute, absolutely hilarious and, for the most part, pretty clean. Um, yeah. That, I think, is really, really hard to do. It is hard to be funny and clean. And he pulls it off. I think Kevin James is hilarious and I like his other work. I, he, get, he does not get a lot of credibility. Right? He doesn't get a lot of credit from uh, from comedians. People, Louis C.K. is always, you know, the comedian's comedian. Right? The top shelf delicatessen. Right? <laughs> or delicacy, I should say. Kevin James is seen as being more like fart jokes and fat jokes and whatever. Uh, but but I don't care. I think I think Kevin James is hilarious. I think his work in sitcoms, in, I thought um, that movie... Oh, what was the name of that movie? Where he was uh, like a UFC fighter? That movie was absolutely just side-splittingly funny. And, yeah, I, I think I think he's a hilarious, hilarious guy. Yeah. Michael, let's let's round off the, the interview. First question of the two, um, what challenges are you currently facing and what are you doing to better overcome them? Uh, that could be in comedy or outside of comedy, your choice. So the biggest challenge in my life right now is I – I need to find a job. I just graduated with my bachelor's degree from the University of Illinois, and I got a dual major in psychology and philosophy. And those degrees don't come with jobs. So now I'm just, you know, underemployed for more interesting reasons, I suppose. But I, uh, that's been the biggest thing. And what I've done there is I, I'm trying to connect now, not just applying to jobs directly, but I, I'm working through some veterans uh organizations that help to place me in jobs, uh, grad staff, one that, you know, helps graduates get placed into jobs. And I'm working, I have three part-time jobs that I'm working currently. So uh, I just want to replace those three part-time jobs with one full-time job uh, so that I feel like I can be more focused on my comedy and more focused, uh, you know, in, in any given job that I'm doing. So that's been my biggest, the biggest thing for me, challenge for me right now is finding gainful uh, full-time employment. Uh, and then the last question, what ultimately inspires you? This is Fuel for Warriors. We found out what it means to be a warrior, learn a little bit more about you. Now, what is the fuel for that warrior? What ultimately inspires me? Um, it's, it's very important to me that I live my life with my eyes open. And what inspires me is the thought that 
right now, when we interact with one another, whenever we, in, in, the, in the deepest of ways and in the most, you know, superficial ways, we create the world around us. We affect each other. We affect the way other people think. Um, as a comedian, this is something that's really important to me. I like to, ch- I like to tackle and challenge thoughts that people have that they accept as normal and, and then point out to them the error in those beliefs or the error in those thoughts in a funny way, right? That is, that is something that really drives me to be a comedian. Um, I like to take national issues, things that are happening right now in a big way and just really get to the root of what I think the problem is and uh, and just kind of flip that issue on its ear for the audience. That that typically is the way that, you know, things become funny when you take something and you just twist it. But what, what, what also I feel like I'm doing there is I'm not necessarily just believing whatever line I'm, I'm being told. I'm not believing whatever I read. I'm not just accepting things prima facie. Instead, what I'm doing is I'm saying, okay, look, when you really think about this, this is what happens because I know that we influence each other. We build the world around us, and then whenever I'm able to take the stage as a comic or if I'm able to have a conversation with a friend, then in that moment I have the ability to change the way that they think, and maybe they'll change the way other people think. And even if you just contribute to the conversation in a small way, uh, you could – you know, start the chain reaction that helps better ideas be accepted and worse ideas, you know, to be jettisoned from our our collective conscious. So I, what inspires me really more than anything is the idea that, and I've said this to you before, is my hope, my, my, the thing that I'm always trying to do is to say something meaningful in an unforgettable way. And that quest drives me on, on every issue, every single day. Wow. That was quite the answer. You really, <laughs> Thank you. You, really, you really brought it home with that one. I like that. <laughs> so, Michael, we're following you on Twitter at Michael Labune and dude, I know you just I know you just got done filming your uh your first hour special and I look forward to uh to seeing it in its entirety and once you have it I hope you'll share it with me so I can share it with my audience as well. Yeah, absolutely. As soon as soon as it's up and run, and then uh, I'll uh, I'll send you a message with a link so that you'll be able to have it and you know broadcast it any way that you see fit. Wonderful, Michael. Thank you so much for joining me. It was a true pleasure. Hey, thanks, Tim. It's always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Be sure to head over to LockandLoadJava.com using promo code Fuel for Warriors for a discount on your purchase. Also, head over to LawsonEntertainment.com for more of my programming. Stay strong and stay motivated.